Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. All right, one of our favorites uh, is with us again today, RJ Benjamin, our music guru, who is going to unpack really such a such a, a long life of a music life of this legend, Johnny Nash. And I tell you now, if you played the music, even those who are like teeny little boppers will dance and dance along, even though they won't know where it comes from. But it's just one of those. Johnny Nash passed away this past week uh, at the age of 80. I'm surprised he's 80. Um, um, but, you know, such is life. And he gifted us with so much more. Well, let me just start by introducing RJ. RJ, thank you so much for being with us. Hi. No, always good to be back from here. Huh? So, I mean, you know, you forget that I forgot he's 80. <laughs> I must be honest. I forgot that he's 80. And I also forgot yeah. because he's been evergreen, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, some people... Uh, spend their whole lives trying to find the song. Mm-hmm. Um, he found it quite early in his life, you know, and um, I almost feel like once he found it, he was uh, he was just like, you know what, I'm okay. <laughs> he went to live on a farm and lived his days. And he kind of laid back and enjoyed the royalties uh, that, that he lived off pretty effectively. But RJ, the thing about it, though, is that the song itself lived on. In other words... It just never got tired. It never got old. It never felt like, oh, you know, that, that's an old song. It just didn't. Look, it's, it's easily one of the greatest songs of all time. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, I wonder how many times it was played this week yeah. uh, after, uh, after the news came out. You know, but, but the, the, it's, it's such a great song. You, you don't get tired of it. Um, I li- I've listened to it a few times this week, and it's still such a good song. Yeah. His particular version, and I mean, obviously, there's been some great remakes, but, yes. but that, that that original version, it's it's like a perfect song. It really is, man. It's so great. And as you say, uh, it still appeals to to like multiple generations, multiple age groups uh, across uh, race lines. Mm. Uh, it, it, it's just one of those songs that anyone and everyone can enjoy and does enjoy. And and. Was he one of those very early musicians who had that crossover feel, you know, that had mastered being cr- a crossover artist? You know, uh, when when uh, Johnny Nash uh, began his career, there were uh, there was unfortunately in the states um, for most black American artists, you were probably you were never going to chart in the main charts mm. unless you made music that appealed to white people, and it was unfortunately those lines were so uh, thickly drawn. Um, and so what a lot of uh, black American artists at the time, and now we're talking sort of mid-50s mid, mid up to early 60s, what a lot of black artists were doing is they were almost um, making their music, uh, they were whitewashing their music. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. They were almost trying to croon. They, became, they were crooners. And Johnny Mathis is probably the biggest example, but even Sam Cooke, we discussed mm. many moons ago. Mm. He did the same thing. And it was in an effort to cross over. And if you crossed over, then suddenly you had mass appeal. Um, and, I, and, and so Johnny initially was right with that generation. Can I ask, RJ, just from a technical mm. point of view, what does that yes. actually entail? How, how do you whitewash music? Because I, I kept thinking, I know what that sounds like, but how would right. an artist be given the tools to what, what, what would have to happen in studio to make it sound crossover? I, does that make sense what I'm asking? Right. Yes, absolutely. Look, I, I mean, it's literally how you perform the music and how the music is written and played. Okay. So 
uh, naturally, your, your black Americans growing up grew up in the church. Mm. It was such a strong part of their background. Mm. And then, of course, you had jazz. Um, and both of these sort of uh, musical styles um, for, for your, your white person who's, who's growing up with a much more, what's the, I, I mean, it's a horrible word to say, but it's a sterile type of music that, that, that white people generally were listening to uh, in America. It was a cleaner time. You must remember the 50s in America, it was all about, um, it was that picket, white picket fence kind of life. Mm-hmm. You know, everything was uh, just wonderful and rosy. Mm-hmm. And therefore, um, the, the the sort of screams and 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 singing from your oh, gut that you okay. had with gospel music, but the kind of dirty freedom that jazz had, uh, that wasn't going to work okay. for your uh, your uh, white population, mm-hmm. who were the majority. Mm-hmm. And and so what uh, black artists would do is they would study what white people were listening to. Mm-hmm. They would go into studio. They would simplify the grooves. They would simplify the melodies. They'd make sure that vocally speaking, they sang much more sort of smoothly, mm-hmm. you know, just the smooth, sweet sound, nothing that's going to like disturb your ears, mm-hmm. no yells, no screams, you know, nothing like that. And, and it worked, you know, for a time. But eventually, uh, um, the, the sound that, that ultimately swept America was uh, soul music, mm-hmm. which, of course, then went in tandem with rock music. And all of a sudden, uh, dirty music was back, so to speak. <laughs> well, let, let me let's play this music that we've just been talking about, because it's you you're going to start listening it, uh, to the music with a, with a different ear now that we've just had this conversation. So this was the crossover version. Yes, okay. I can see clearly now. That's Johnny Nash's I Can See Clearly Now. Back with more with RJ Benjamin after this. You're listening to Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. So I'm in conversation with RJ Benjamin and we were talking about Johnny Nash and we were just listening to I Can See Clearly Now. And that's quite popular and we all know that about him. But there may be something else you don't know about him. And that is RJ? Johnny Nash is effectively responsible for launching the career of Bob Marley. It's uh, it's probably the other thing that that it, it's, it's probably the second greatest legacy besides I can see clearly. Quite wow. honestly, wow. And and let's just talk about how that happened. He he was playing one of his songs, right? right? Well, so so basically, Johnny Nash goes off to uh, Jamaica with uh, his business partner and manager at the time, a guy named Danny Sims. He's very famous in the history of music. Um, they go there because it's cheaper to record in Jamaica. And they've also heard about this new uh, uh, genre of musical rock steady that seems to be blowing up in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. So, so they, uh, one night he gets taken off to uh, Rastafari and party. And Bob Marley's performing. Um, I think Bob Marley's sister was performing. Pete Tosh was performing. There were a bunch of performances. But Bob Marley and the Wailers were already a thing in Jamaica. They were performing. And Johnny Nash is just blown away by Bob Marley and the Wailers' songs. Mm -hmm. And and it's this meeting which effectively changes the the course of Bob Marley's life uh, um, and and legacy. Because... uh, Johnny sees the incredible talent of Bob Marley. He does feel like he's he, he vocally he's not he's not going to break it internationally, but he hears something in the song, and he decides to introduce Bob to um, Danny Sims. 
And it's this meeting, it's this meeting with Danny Sim that completely changes, changes Bob Marley's life. Um, ultimately, uh, they sign him to a songwriting uh, a publishing deal. And in fact, on the same album that has I Can See Clearly Now, mm. um, which, which features a lot of the, those reggae influences, um, four, four of Bob Marley's songs get onto the album. Um, but of course, it's not Bob Marley singing. It's not mm, Bob Marley mm, and the Wailers. Yes. Um, but Johnny still loves Bob Marley and the Wailers, to be clear. Okay. And so, um, I think it. Uh, uh, I think it was in 1967, if I'm correct. Uh, Johnny's touring uh, the UK. He goes on a tour to the UK, and Bob Marley and the Wailers are basically his opening act. Um, and um, and Bob Marley. Uh, Effectively, while he's in uh, the UK, meets up with um, the people of, uh, at Island Records, and uh, they wa- they basically say like, "We love this stuff. We want to we want to sign you." Unfortunately, he's got this deal with Danny Danny Sims, and ultimately, Bob sits down with Danny Sims and says, "Can you release me from my deal, or can I go to Island Records?" And had Danny said no we probably wouldn't have ever heard of Bob Marley and the Whalers in terms of on, on the international stage. But Danny Sims recognizes that this is a, this is a huge opportunity uh, for Bob Marley and the Whalers. And he, and he effectively sells their contract to Island Records. And that's, uh, that sale leads to, of course, uh, Bob Marley releasing Stir It Up, which, by the way, um, was a song that, that was on that Johnny Nash album. But, of course, Stir It Up, no one knew Stir It Up based on sort of the Johnny Nash version. Now Bob Marley's uh, uh, taken his song back. He's re-recorded it, and now he releases it and becomes this major star. And that was really the first single uh, that Bob Marley released at the time. That is absolutely incredible. Let's play it, Stir It Up, uh, by Bob Marley this time. Music of Bob Marley, stir it up. We'll be back with more with RJ Benjamin after this. Across South Africa, online and on radio. SAFM, let's talk. So we continue our conversation around Bob Marley and how he was discovered by Johnny Nash. Uh, I don't think a lot of people knew that. But, I mean, he, he essentially broke out internationally because Johnny Nash then introduced him to the record label where he was released. RJ? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, look, I, I absolutely love uh, stories like this in the history of music because it, it, it happens more often than you realize. You know, artists artists are able to recognize great talent. And, uh, you know, had, had Johnny, you know, just been like, oh, that was a nice band and then moved on with his life and, and thought nothing of it, we, we probably wouldn't be, you know, uh, we probably wouldn't have been exposed to Bob Marley. Um, and so it's it, these small moments in the history of music that just change everything. Um, and, you know, Danny, uh, Danny Sims, um, you know, he, he was just, he was so key in, in, in you know, Bob Marley's initial career. Um, and interestingly enough, it didn't necessarily stop there. So as much as uh, Danny Sims effectively uh, sells Bob Marley and the Whalers' contract to uh, Island Records, um, they would still always stay connected. Um, and in actual fact, um, in 1980, uh, and, and this is quite late into sort of towards the last days of Bob Marley, um, but, but, but Bob Marley approached Danny to, to, 
to some degree, help him uh, re sort of spark the fire of, uh, of his career. And uh, Danny and Marley um, and Bob Marley set up various uh, performances. Probably the most notable performance was the performance that Bob Marley did at Madison Square Garden. And the footage is, uh, uh, is available um, on YouTube. Okay. Um, and it's, it's quite interesting because you, you're watching um, a, a, Marley, a Bob Marley who doesn't quite yet realize that he, uh, that he has cancer, <laughs> that he has terminal cancer. Mm. Um, this particular gig at Madison Square Garden was uh, Bob Marley opening up for the Commodores. And it's actually crazy to think that Bob Marley was opening for the Commodores. <laughs> yes. But this, is, uh, this was a low point in his, uh, in his career, and this was a huge opportunity to get back. I must tell you, when, when you watch documentaries and you watch footage, mm. this gig was amazing. The fact that he didn't realize he, 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 he was suffering from terminal cancer is mm. quite incredible mm. because he basically just blows the Commodores off stage. Mm. Um, it's, quite, it's quite incredible to, 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 to watch it. So I urge you and everybody else, go and check this out. It's quite yes, amazing. We'll certainly do um, that. Absolutely. So a day later, Bob Marley is um, he's jogging in Central Park and he collapses. Mm. Um, and Sims and another friend of Marley's would effectively carry him to the, the closest hospital. And, of course, it's, it's there that he discovers he has terminal cancer. And... Um, Less than a year later, um, there was no more Bob Marley. Um, but it's really interesting to me that, that Danny Sims would be there right wow. right at the end uh, of Bob Marley's career and life. Um, and it's really, it's, uh, it's just quite interesting. Uh, um, I mean, my mind is blown because Danny Sims passed away in 2012. Mm. Bob Marley is not with us either. And now Johnny Nash has died. It's almost like that's... Uh, that Trinity mm. uh, are, will will eternally be connected, mm. um, and now there none of them are are, are with us anymore. Mm. Let, let's go to the the hit single that really launched him internationally. No woman, no cry. Yeah. So that, that's it. That is the legendary No Woman, No Cry that essentially made Bob Marley who he is today. Oh, yes. What, a, what an amazing song. And I think what's fascinating about the version you just played is it's the live version. Mm. And that's a freaking live version which became the most widely known version of the song. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So amazing. RJ, always lovely Special talking answer. to you. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's only a pleasure, Pamela. Take care. RJ Benjamin. And that conversation will be on our social media platforms. Coming up is Bongi Gwala on Beyond the Headlines. Now, Gaudia Premier David Makura has fired Dr. Bandile Masugu from his position as a health MEC in Gauteng. Now, following allegations of corruption, uh, that obviously will be cleared up later on. He says he will still get the final report on corruption. But, um, on the other hand, a report done by investigator Paul O'Sullivan, which looked into the allegations of corruption, exonerated health MEC of any wrongdoing. O'Sullivan will speak to Bongi after about those outcomes a bit later after 3 o'clock. Thanks everybody. Let's do this again on Monday. It's now 3 o'clock. Let's go to Utsila Saku for the latest in SABC News.